Uh, if you're visiting today, we're glad that you're here. We're looking at the book of John. Uh, for y'all that don't know me, um, uh, I have always uh, been very interested in people who are willing to say I don't believe. Um, but if I run into a skeptic, rather than trying to convince them of, of what I believe, uh, I usually get them to read the first six chapters of John. And uh, if there's an earnest seeking of who, who, what the truth is, you just start with Christ. And so that's why we've been looking at John. We looked at John 1 through 5 last fall. And so now we're looking at 6 through 8. And, and for you that are visiting, I'm not going to do a, a great... Uh, uh, review because I don't have time. But let me just say this. In, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, if you, if you don't know if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you don't know if it's true, if it's one of many religions, I would encourage you to read that. And you'd be hard-pressed to go, well, this is just a religious book. But what you have in John 1, 1 through 18 called the prologue, you have John very clearly saying that Jesus Christ is the Creator. He was with God from the very beginning because he was God. And the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And so that means that everybody that's sitting here right now and everybody in the world has something to do with Jesus Christ because of who he is. And that's true of you this morning. And so we've been looking at, uh, at John. Uh, this fall, we're looking at John 6 through 8. And we've had a couple of sermons on John. So let me give you the, the quick context. He's just fed the 5,000. It's the only miracle shown in all four Gospels. The reason for that is, is that Jesus is confirming everything John said in John 1 through 18. He said, yep, I'm it. Here are the signs that I give to you. And he gives a sign of the feeding of the 5,000. In their minds, it's very clear that they know he's talking about Moses, that, that, that he is a type of Moses. And, uh, and so he's fed the 5,000. There is uh, confusion about all that, that this means, and we're going to see this. Uh, but now, the, the rest of John that we're going to look at, and, and by the way, our text today, I'm going to preach one sermon. I, one guy preached 20 sermons on this text. So aren't you glad that I'm going to move on? But, but there's no way I can milk this text in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. But I pray the Holy Spirit will drive home, especially if you're not a believer, to know that there is life in Jesus Christ, that he is the manna came, come down from heaven. He is the bread of life. He, in him is life. There's no life in rules and regulations and ideas and philosophies or even in your doubts. There is no life in that. But there's life in the gospel. So I want you to turn uh, to this uh, discourse that Jesus begins in John chapter 6. So on the next day, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And so other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, and here's a key phrase, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't work for food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to them, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. That whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not, never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these uh, words of our Lord Jesus Christ that they have been recorded. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you tell us through your word, eternal word, that you have always been the point of the Bible. That even the law that was given by the Moses in, in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, was simply to drive us to Christ, not a set of rules uh, that we in our own self-righteousness could think we could keep. That in Christ is life, not in the law, not in our works, but in him. And so, Father, I pray for those who are thirsty, that they would discover that there's no fulfillment in the things of this world, but only a thirsting and hungering for a righteousness they don't have that they'll never be able to attain themselves. And, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convert people this morning that don't know you, that they would see Jesus Christ as true life. There's no life in anything else but in him. But Lord, I, they can't hear and I can't, I can't say it well enough. But Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that we would expound on your word in a way that brings life. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Um, my first paper as a freshman at Furman University was a memorable paper. And ultimately, why? Because of the subject, even though I'm going to tell you the subject, it was because of the grade I made. Now, the class I took was English 101. It was a composition class. I wish somebody had actually told me that it was for composition. And so the first paper we had to do was a two-page paper uh, on some topic. You pick the topic. Well, I'm a new believer, right? I've been reading some Puritans, and I'm, I'm all excited about what the gospel is. So in two pages, I'm going to... Uh, my title of my paper was The Uniqueness of Christianity. Can you imagine that? Two pages. I'm going to tell you... What's so unique about Christianity? (laughs) 
Uh, and then, uh, and uh, so, but what he did, we, so we wrote our papers, and then before we gave them to him, he wanted our, our students to, to read, right? You, so you trade your papers. So the girl sat next to me. The title of hers was My Five You Weekend. So I thought, man, I'm going to make an A because this is going to be boring. So that was two pages about her weekend. And it was easy to read. And so anyhow, but I'm thinking, well, A for me, good luck, girl, on this paper. And so, of course, we get our papers back. And she made an A. And I made an F. And, uh, and so uh, it would have helped if I'd chosen a smaller subject, you would agree, and if I had spelt uniqueness right in the title. <laughs> I could tell you my brother did type that paper. I just didn't proofread it, but anyhow. And, of course, uh, the, you know, the professor, I went to him and said, hey, look, is, can you help me with it? He said, son, look, this is not a philosophy class. Really? I'm just trying to help you learn how to write well so when you get to those classes <laughs> that you know how to communicate. I said, oh, okay. Now, why don't I tell you that story? Well, you know what? In the 40 years uh, since uh, I tanked that paper, uh, I might have misspelled the title, and I might have chosen the wrong topic for two pages, but I will tell you this. The topic has never changed in my mind. The uniqueness of the faith that we say we believe if you're a Christian. And what is that uniqueness? The Christian faith is different than any other religion. And when I say this, and if you're visiting, I don't mean to be pejorative. I'm I'm not. Because there's many religions that teach you some good things as to how you live. But in this very thing is the distinction between the true faith that will save you, that will make you new, and everything else. Because everything else tells you a way to salvation. It says, live like this, and then you'll be blessed. This is the gospel way. But it's the gospel with a little g. Uh, Even secular people that say they're not religious, they'll say, this is the way you go, and you'll have the better life. The better education will bring better life. Better investments will bring better life. Better diets. We've talked about this so many times times have we not what you do and if you do these things then you'll have freedom all religions secular or religious say do this and be saved and Christianity says this you cannot be saved how about that you cannot save yourself and it's the clear teaching of the bible That God didn't give Ten Commandments for you to be a very nice and better person. Because if that's the case, you're trying to save yourself, then you know what? You don't do the main thing you're supposed to do. And that is love God and love people because you're thinking about yourself. And make sure that you save yourself. Rather than a person who understands the gospel of Christ and that, that, that God is a God who is a merciful God. That he has mercy on people. And so Christianity is not what we do, but what has been done, what has been accomplished. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you don't understand this, and I know a lot of y'all, 
but there's no real joy in your life. There's no freedom in your life because you're forgetting that the gospel is what God has done. He has rescued us from our sins. But here's what happens in the massive amounts of churches and denominations. And the reason I say this, I'm not knocking them. Presbyterians, I've always said Presbyterians are a mess, but it's the best mess I know. But at least we're willing to admit we're a mess. But, but it's what you call cooperative justification. Or the title of my sermon says, One-Handed Grace. Not two-handed grace. What God does and then what you do in response to what he does. Now, let me give you a good example of that. We all know the unbelievable devastation that's in Houston, Texas. I'm sure we'll eventually be going down there with a group of people to try to help these uh, uh, fellow citizens out. But hundreds of people have died. They weren't saved. They were washed away. But there's story after story of men and women who've been rescued from rooftops. One of the stories that I saw was an elderly lady who never knew her neighbor, never met her neighbor, lived in the back. And she was about to die. And then her neighbor came in a boat and rescued her. And it changed her relationship with a neighbor that she never knew before. Never cared to know before. You know why? Because she never saw her situation. She never needed to be saved. She never needed to be rescued. And the reason many of you have never come to understand the glory, the mercy, and grace of God is you just simply not at the point where you are drowning. And so cooperative justification says, yes, Jesus did this, but you know what? You need to do this if we're going to make this thing complete. And I'm going to tell you what Jesus says in our text. And it's going to be a little bit mind-blowing for a lot of you because he's going to say it has nothing to do with anything that you do. It has everything to do with the mercy and grace of God. Now, I want to ask you, do you know that mercy today? Do you rest in the finished work of Christ? In the sense, have you kind of climbed into that boat the same way that woman did and she hugs that neighbor and says, thank you for saving me and the relationship's been changed and it will ever be the Never be the same between them. Do you know this Jesus? Or do you still go around all the time going, I know I need to go to Redeemer more. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to be a better wife. I need to be a better husband. I need that. And you know what? In the very effort of doing that, you end up not being filled with the Holy Spirit. To not know the joy of love and joy, the fruit of the Spirit of joy and peace and patience. You know why? Because your whole life is revolved around meeting God halfway. Well, let me tell you, you cannot do that. And that's exactly what Jesus says in this text. And the question I have for you today is I don't care how much religion you have. I don't care how much Presbyterianism you have or Baptist or whatever it may be. My question to you this morning is are you in Christ? Not, not in Redeemer, not in this church, not in that church, but are you resting in Jesus Christ who is the substitute? Would y'all say that's a legitimate question to ask? Because if you don't know that, then chances are you're doing the cooperative justification. I mean, imagine the lady. If you interviewed this lady afterwards and said... <laughs> And you say, hey, tell me about your rescue. And she said, well, you need to kind of, it wasn't exactly a rescue. I mean, yeah, he came in the boat, and yes, he reached his hand out. But you know what? I did stick my hand out. 
Oh, okay. That's not the gospel. And I'll tell you, Christians and churches and teaching hate that doctrine. Because there's always in us something we want to do. Do y'all see that with the disciples? Well, what, what must we do to do the works to where we can keep getting the bread? Completely miss the point. Well, here's what, here's, here's what I want us to do in the next 15 minutes before we come to the Lord's Supper. By the way, you know, God did, I don't know, 15 sermons. I'm gonna, I'm, now I'm going to do the rest of this text. In about 20 minutes. But let's look at it. What are the things that, that our text teaches about uh, this point very clearly? Well, number one, we'll see what man seeks. Man does seek. You understand that? You're not brain dead. But number two, what Jesus offers. What does he offer to those who seek rightly? And then finally, what God the Father guarantees. That's a mind blower. Here's the first thing. What, what man seeks. Notice verse 24. Can y'all see 24? Do y'all see it says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Now again, it, it was just yesterday he fed the 5,000. So, duh, they're going to try to find him. And this is Moses. He's going to bring them out Daily. But, but not only did they see this sign, and the sign was pointing to Jesus as saying, I'm, I'm greater than Moses. I'm the bread come down from heaven. But they'd already seen that he had healed the sick, uh, the lame, those who'd been possessed. And, uh, and so they're so excited about who Jesus is that they're seeking him. In fact, uh, uh, verse uh, 14 tells us earlier in the chapter that, hey, this is the prophet that's greater than Moses. And then they wanted to make him a king. And so he fed them. And then they miss the point. How do we see this? Well, they get in the boat. They say, well, he's not here. So let's seek Jesus. So they get in a boat. And they pursue him. They go across the, get in the boats and go back over to where Capernaum is. And they say, well, there you are. And so notice, though, that when they ask Jesus, well, when did you get here? Now, Jesus doesn't say, oh, by the way, I walked across the water. Because you know what? Even if they saw that, they wouldn't believe it. I'm, I'm just telling you that no matter what is said and what you've heard, no matter how powerfully the gospel is preached to you, if you don't have faith, you'll never see. And you'll remain in your sins because you want to. And what we need is the grace of God as, we, as we're seeking him that we discover if we find him it's because he was first seeking us. But you know what? Do you, know, do you realize that most of these people left at the end of this discourse? So why do they come to him? Well, Jesus, he doesn't answer the question. Does he? Look at verse 26. And, and this is very important before we get to our next point. He says, truly I say to you, you're seeking me not because of you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now here's the thing. They're seeking him. And they're wanting him to be their king, but for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. Now, 
we talk about this a lot, don't we? I mean, we always talk about the idols, and then sometimes uh, maybe I'll think it ad nauseum, okay? But, you know, he is the manna. He is the bread. But, um, but what's very interesting, you notice it's breakfast time and they're hungry again? You ever get hungry at breakfast? Well, that's because you have an appetite. And because God made us physical beings. And so we have to eat again, and we have to eat again. I don't care who you are, you have to eat again. You have to, eventually, even if you're on a diet, you have to eat again. But in reality, what this is saying here in the text is the reason we have breakfast in the morning and we wake up and we have this appetite is because it's actually pointing always to a greater appetite that we have, and that is for this world and the things of this world. To be a better preacher so I can have a bigger church. Ah, to be successful in what I do so my father will finally say, son, I'm proud of you. And <laughs> he never does. Or to try to be the husband, you know, I'm going to make my wife happy. And so you end up and you, you paint the house and you do all this stuff and then you find out her love language is not gifts of service. Right? Y'all heard, read that book. It's like extended time together. <laughs> and so she's mad at you and you're like what is up with that we have this appetite don't we don't you to be the greatest doctor or maybe sometimes your appetite might very well be that every appetite you've ever had has just been killed and that basically you just long to die because your soul has died and you see if your focus is like the folks here, then you're seeking Jesus. They're, they're thinking about their need, their stomach. They're not thinking about Christ. And I'll tell you this, even if you're not a Christian, even the most serious believers can at some point in their life fall into Christ is not sufficient for me. He's not enough. I'm so tired of hearing about Jesus. And it happened. And so that's the first thing. Now, so before I get to the second point, let me ask you this. What do you hunger for? What, what, what turns your crank? What, what, is, what are you going after to feed your soul? Well, Jesus lovingly says, you know what? You guys are missing the whole point here. And so the second thing to see from our text is this. What man seeks, but notice what Jesus offers. What are you seeking this morning? What does he offer? Look at verse 35, and he'll tell you this morning. Verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, if you're still listening to me, would y'all say that's a pretty enormous claim? Now, what if I said, by the way, I figured out the Lord spoke to me last night, and I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. Would y'all come back to Redeemer? I hope you wouldn't. You're, you know, go join a cult because I guess, but no, you, you wouldn't come back because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not life. If you knew me, you would, you'd realize how much I need Jesus. And you might even realize why I'm so passionate to preach to you every Sunday the same thing. You know what? Because every time you breathe, you sin. 
Because you're to love God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. Anybody ever done that on one breath? Please stand up. And yet religion points us away from Christ, who is our only hope, and it points us to ourselves. Well, I'm a basically decent person. Well, just go ask your spouse about that. Go ask a good friend of yours. No, you're not. You're not a decent person. And Jesus understands that. He, that's why he came in the world. He said, I came to bring life to dead people. Spiritually dead people. That's why I came. And again, I just got to ask you as a Christian. I mean, here at Redeemer, you've been here. Well, I, I got to ask you, is there life? Is, is, is there this sense of, I have rested in Christ alone in such a way that the Holy Spirit has convinced you that that his life, and because of your attachment to him, you quit thinking about all these other things and being good and being better, and all of a sudden, there's this life that comes into you. Do you understand that? That's called the spirit-filled life. But Jesus promises life, that he is the bread of life. Now, you know, to really appreciate what he's saying, just real quick, let me, let's look at the context of what he's saying. Notice what he says in verse 27. Now, back up. Look at verse 27. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of the Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Jesus is saying, listen, I can feed your stomachs, but you'll be hungry again. Uh, so, so, don't, so, so don't work for that which is perishes. I mean, I think about all the stuff you do. You want to make money so you can whatever, so you can one day die. It perishes. It all goes away. Even if you have all the money you need, it goes away. It goes away. Now, what is their response to Jesus saying, uh, do not work for food? But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father said is, is sealed. What do they say? So what do they say? They say, well, what must work must we do? Y'all see that? What do we need to do it, for you to keep feeding us the manna, the fishes and the loaves? What do we need to do? And you know what he says? Well, I mean, well, first off, why is it that we're that way? I tell you, the reason we, we want to say there's something we do is because of pride. You understand that? Because of pride. That I can say, hey, Hal Farnsworth started a church in Athens, Georgia. We started downtown ministries. As to what? That's going to merit something? What work must we do? Let me tell you what work you must do. None. Because Christ has done the work for you. He's lived the life you've lived. And the, the life that I should live. Nothing you can do. What must I do to be saved? Nothing. Only what Christ can do. So now notice how they continue to not understand what he's saying. So they say, well, well, Jesus says, verse 29, he says, uh, Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him, whom he sent. You understand that? Just believe in him, that he is the second Adam. And as Adam came into the world and destroyed the world and destroyed us, Christ is the Son of God, the second Adam, born of a virgin, who comes into this world to rescue you. Do you understand that? 
There's nothing you can do. And to me, that's unbelievable news. All you have to do is, is, is just believe in him. Now, notice what their response is. Now, this is amazing before we come to our last point. They said, well, what sign? <laughs> you notice that? Well, what sign are you going to give us that authenticates who you are? Now, are they dumber than bricks or what? But they're not dumber than bricks. I'm going to tell you what it is. It was a cynical statement. Now, don't you think about this because some of y'all are cynical, even have been Christians for a long time, about God and his mercies. You don't even know if you want them. Because every time I get close to God, life gets hard for me. And so you're kind of backing off. Now, what did, what did they mean by that? Let me tell you what they meant by that. Okay, here's a sign, Jesus. Moses fed us every day for 40 years. You just did it once. Are you going to do it again? And guess what? He didn't. And guess what happened to 5,000 people? That was not the Jesus they were seeking. So what about you? What Jesus are you seeking? And Jesus wants you to seek him. Jesus is always flat out blunt with us so that we can go, what am I thinking? This is about him. And then you see his love and you see his mercy. But do you see that? You see that men seek him, but Jesus offers, what does he offer? He offers himself. He is life. Do you have that life this morning? Are you thinking? Yes, well, how do I know? Well, let me ask you, do you, read, do you feed upon him every day? Can you go like weeks and weeks and months and maybe even years and never read the Bible? You don't know Christ any more than the man in the moon. Because you know why? Because that, what do you do with bread? You eat it every day. You know why you eat it every day? Because it kind of satisfies your appetite. And then you can live. And, uh, and by the way, the bread is for kings and paupers in it. It's for anybody. Everybody needs bread. You see, bread to you. You say, well, I believed in Jesus when I was 12 years old. I went uh, to a camp meeting, blah, blah, blah. Now, I want to know, is Christ precious to you this morning? To feed upon him. Not, not whether you got converted five years ago at Redeemer or 10 years ago. That means nothing. Now, here's the last thing that I want to see. And, uh, and th- that is this. That... Man seeks, Jesus offers, but God guarantees. And who's he guaranteeing here? Who's he guaranteeing here? Jesus. And because he guarantees Jesus is something, he'll make a guarantee to you this morning if you'll come to him. And where do we see that guarantee? We see that guarantee in, um, in verse 36. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. Okay, here's what you need to understand. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's electing grace. Do y'all see that? Is, is there an assurance to Jesus? I mean, what if Je- think about it this way. I want you to, you got to put your thinking cap on. We're going to come to the Lord's table. But think about it this way. What if it were cooperative justification? God says, son, I want you to go down and die for these uh, miserable people. And he goes down and he dies for these miserable people, right? So he's done his part. And then your part is to respond. What if nobody ever responded? 
What if no, nobody ever responded? The blood of Christ would save no one. And his death would be for no reason. But according to this text, that Christ came to die for his people. And the Father is calling those people. I'll tell you, in John 17, if you read John 17, Jesus very clearly, in his last prayer before he gets crucified for his people, he says, my prayer is not for the world, but Father, for those you've given me. It's the grace of God. You think, you think you're going to wait around until you decide that you're going to get saved after you have a good time for a while? No, you're not. It's probably a sign you're a reprobate. Right? But I'll tell you this. Anybody that comes to Jesus this morning say, well, who are the elect? Am I elect? Yeah, well, all you have to do is come to Christ. If you haven't come to him, then you're not. I can tell you that. But if you say, but how do I really know? Well, you know, there's this sign over the door that says, whosoever will may come. And when you walk in the, that door and boom, you enter into eternal life. You know what union with Christ is. You turn around, you look to the other side of the door, and it says, it's not you that have chosen me, but I have chosen you. When did he choose us? Before the foundations of the world. So the Father has a plan. Jesus on the cross died for somebody. But obviously not everybody, because is everybody going to be saved? Is everybody going to be saved? No, and I'll tell you, your greatest need right now is to be saved, not for Georgia to go 11 and 0. Not to have a boyfriend or to get married. Your greatest need is that the curse and wrath of God is coming upon all those who are not in Jesus Christ because that's why he came. And so the son submits to the father. You know, the Holy Spirit has a job. Guess what his job is? His job is to go wake you up today if you're dead in your sin. And to apply the work of Christ to you. Now, let me close by saying this. Some of you might, for some of you, I bet you've never heard a sermon about this. But that's what that text says. And brother, brothers and sisters, I, I long for you to know Jesus. To be born again. Because you can't make yourself born again any more than you can make yourself born the first time. It's the sovereignty of God. But you might say, well, how is that fair? Well, let me tell you, and I close on this. There's three kinds of fair. Okay, and God can never be one of them. And that is below fair. Because God is true to his nature. He's true. And if you want what's fair, you will have a chance to stand before God and make your case before the Almighty. And the life that you've lived. Well, I've been a basically decent person. Now, wake up and listen to me. If you think that, then you have no idea what the law of God is and the holiness of God. But then God can, uh, he can't do us below fair, but he can do us fair. And if you get what's fair, you'll get justice, and he'll be just. But there's one other kind of fair, and this is the one I want you to know today. He is above fair. And that's called Mercy. And God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, then why are you not coming to him for mercy? Because you don't think you need it. This is the gospel of Jesus. That he's above fair. And he will, I don't care what your life is. But you see, I am so messed up. I've ruined my life. I've had abortions. I've murdered somebody. Who knows what you're dealing with? Oh, let me tell you. Jesus says, come to me. 
because I'm life. And he came for those sinners. Are you a sinner? Come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to the Lord's table now and we thank you that we have a visible sign because we're weak in faith that we can feed upon Jesus. Father, pray for any that are here today that don't know Jesus, that you'd have mercy upon them, that they would settle with Christ this morning and not walk out of here and their hearts more hardened than when they first came. And Father, for those who are tender of heart who don't know, maybe if they're Christians or not, Lord, would you reveal yourself and show them it has nothing to do about what they believe but what you accomplished 2,000 years ago. We ask these things in your name. Amen.